1: Sanitizer is broad spectrum antibiotic that kills everything on your skin and that's what causes the dryness It's because those bacteria that provide that natural moisturization in your skin are all being killed and they can't do what they're supposed to do
0: Welcome to the less stressed life podcast Where our only priority is providing those aha moments to up level your life health and happiness your host Integrative dietitian nutritionist Krista Bigler helps health conscious women reduce the stress and confusion around food, fatigue, digestive, and skin issues at lessstressnutrition.com. Now, onto the show. This episode is sponsored by Gladskin, a unique eczema cream that works to improve the topical skin microbiome. All right. Today on The Last Dress Like, we have Skylar Stein. He's president of GladSkin, which is a biotech-driven skincare brand. GladSkin's a leader in global endolysin technology, which we'll learn all about today, and uses its science to improve inflammatory skin conditions by rebalancing the skin microbiome, something you may know is near and dear to my heart. Throughout his career, Skylar has advised, invested in, and developed businesses across technology-driven sectors. Most recently at Obvious Ventures, a venture capital firm dedicated to startups that combine profit and purpose. And we were talking off air, microbiota. We were They look for microbiome specific companies. And so we'll, we will definitely have the opportunity to talk. I always like the background before we get into the science and the business piece of it. So Schuyler focused on companies commercializing microbiome science to improve human health. And while seeking investment opportunities in microbiome focused companies, he met European based GladSkin team out of the Netherlands. GladSkin's endolysin technology developed by microos, which I don't know what BV is. Micreos. We talked about micreos. We'll talk about That's like, that is the concept here we're about to talk about today, which is a really interesting new, I don't know if we call it new science. I'm very stoked to talk about this is like the next big thing in microbiome research. Anyway, he was impressed. Here they are. Skylar joined the team to further build out gladskin success in Europe. And now he is the president of gladskin, which helps those with these inflammatory skin conditions, namely eczema. Yeah, we'll get into that history. He has an MBA from Harvard Business School and a BA from Duke University. Welcome, Skylar.
1: Yeah, thank you, Krista, so much for having me.
0: All right, so let's get into the background because I don't know if there is anyone who feels like they're living in their purpose who's background doesn't completely dictate what they're doing now, right? So you're cruising along, you're doing well, you're a California boy and the New England area, you went to undergrad for genomic sciences, we can talk about that you're getting your MBA, you start your MBA, you're in the hotbed of Lyme disease, and you hit some Lyme disease. And that kind of knocked you off the rails for a little bit. Tell me about that.
1: Yeah. So in 2014, after spending some years in venture capital and private equity really investing in and growing businesses I decided to go back and get my MBA at Harvard and really three weeks into the program I was feeling really lousy extreme fatigue kind of some mental fogginess And after seeing about five doctors in three weeks knowing there was something wrong with me I uh, got a diagnosis with Lyme disease, which was a total shock I didn't know what it was at the time or the implications, but I I Took a medical leave from Harvard to go back to San Diego and do treatment. And that really launched me into this fascinating journey of health and wellness and understanding my own microbiome.
0: Yeah. I see that you actually took, was it a, did you do a stool test every week for a year? I did. It's quite passionate, Skyler. You're kind of a goofy <laughs> guy. I'd actually, I'd love to hear what you learned through that. And you didn't mention joint pain. You didn't get any joint pain when you. <laughs>
1: Didn't really have the same joint pain symptoms that many people with Lyme disease have, fortunately. So, yeah.
0: OK, um, so I don't think I probably shouldn't glaze through that Lyme disease thing because it's kind of a significant thing. And you're fortunate to have some resources to be able to spend some time. I mean, but it's not easy to just take a couple of years and figure it out. And would you say that's largely what you were doing? You were basically just trying to figure out how to correct Lyme because, you know, it can be a very chronic, debilitating right horrible thing. So I'm kind of curious, did you travel around? Did you just see a lot of people? I know you were doing your own biohacking. Mm -hmm. Should we know more about that process a little bit?
1: Yeah. So as soon as I got the diagnosis, I, the type of person who just, that became my new kind of like full-time focus is figuring out all the research that had been done in Lyme disease, what we do know, what we don't know. There's tons of controversy in terms of what Lyme disease really is, if chronic Lyme disease exists, and how to treat it. Even within the medical community, it's an extremely controversial topic. So I met with classic infectious disease doctors, integrative medicine doctors, nutritionists, really looked at it, we read every book I could on it, really just wanted to understand what we know about the condition.
0: And this will be my last question about Lyme disease, but we just had a couple of guests. And so really, it was all about support and kind of like helping. And I think this is a good segue into where we're headed too. It was really about being super supportive. So your immune system could work through that a little bit. Do you find that at the very basis of what you did for your Lyme disease and correcting and I know your 100% brain is as clear as can be today. Do you feel like that was a huge piece of what you ended up doing for your Lyme journey as well?
1: So I took a do everything approach when it came to my Lyme disease. So I followed my doctor's advice in terms of traditional treatments, which involved many different types of antibiotics simultaneously at the same time while I was doing that adjunctive supplemental alternative approaches as well, which included herbal protocols, extreme focus on diet and exercise and mindfulness and just tried a lot of different modalities at the same time with the perspective that if it can't hurt why not try it and you know if you was in the minds you know it really became clear to me at that time that if you don't have your health and you can't be yourself you really don't have very much at all and so my core focus before I thought about anything else was just like my full-time job was figure figuring out this super complex puzzle.
0: I love it. Thank you for mentioning that. Not just mentioning, but underline that statement. If you don't have your health, it's kind of hard to enjoy much of the rest of life sometimes. So because not many people test their microbiome every week, and you are going through a lot of different therapies, can you give us a couple of the top takeaways that really struck you through that process and that journey? And were you always using the same kits every time. I mean, it doesn't really matter. Those are fun nuanced conversations if I had an hour to talk to you about 52 stool kits that you did over a year. However, if you could go with the top couple of takeaways because this leads into you becoming obsessed with the microbiome, right?
1: Absolutely. So, the Lyme disease journey is really what the treatment for Lyme disease is heavy doses of wide spectrum antibiotics and we know that wide spectrum antibiotics have direct impact on your microbiome and I was researching every day or every couple week a new study was coming out about the impact of a microbiome imbalance being associated with different types of chronic diseases autoimmune neurodegenerative allergic you name it we're finding every day we're finding a connection so this was a real concern for me because i knew i was completely kind of dropping nuclear bombs on my microbiome every day through treatment so i really wanted to understand what was happening there so i moved back to san diego and there's a research institute here called uh, JCVI, which is the Craig Venter Institute. Craig Venter is the guy, the first person to sequence the human genome. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was himself. And so very much at the forefront of that and the technologies used to do the sequencing. So I worked with him to set up an IRB approved N of one study mm-hmm. of one, which was myself in terms of tracking my microbiome impact of my treatment on my microbiome, as well as how my microbiome recovered for the following nine months after I stopped treatment as well. And I learned a ton of going through that process and getting the weekly data. So I tested different diets, supplements, probiotics, sleep, you name it, to try to find different correlations in terms of what I was doing day to day and how it affected my microbiome and there were some really interesting findings. One is I found no correlation whatsoever with probiotics that I was taking and microbiome data. Mm -hmm. So I could see no correlation whatsoever. Super expensive, high quality probiotics. I didn't see that show up in the microbiome data. Mm -hmm. What I did find what I was able to correlate that did have the most impact was more on the prebiotic and fiber side of things. And I really think that is a much bigger key to fixing a disrupted microbiome more than probiotics. Mm -hmm. And the trick is really getting as many different types of fibers into your system, which just goes back to eating a lot of different plants and vegetables, which is where they naturally exist. So the simplest answer that's right in front of us, I think, is the answer. But it's actually much more complex than that. Because when your microbiome is really disrupted, fibers can really irritate it. And it can really hurt it. Just like if you have a sprained ankle, a way to get your ankle strong, you know, to get your legs and your body stronger is to go for a run and to use it. But you can't use it while your ankle sprained and you need to let it rest. So it's really finding that right balance of like, letting it heal before you can put on that type of strap, you know, add those fibers into the diet to help improve things.
0: Well, we've just met, but I like you because you've <laughs> got analogies and that's exactly how I feel. So there's actually a good study. I don't remember the name of the study right now, but to paraphrase it, the title is essentially a diverse diet is better than any other diet because of all these fibers. And we've actually talked about it. There was a an oncologist I interviewed and we had that conversation at length, you know, where they fed mice, all these different things. And that was the biggest thing that improved the cancer therapy outcomes was the good microbiota. And it was all about plants. But just like you said, it's not always a, it's like the simplest thing, but not always the simplest thing because it's not going to work well if things are out of balance, which is going to lead us into our next conversation as well. So I love it. And I'm not I wasn't really surprised when you said the probiotics, you didn't see a difference because that's kind of what we think, you know, it's this transient organism. And if you can't get it to stick and hang out and invite good bugs to the party, then it's not really going to matter. So anyway,
1: an an analogy I like to use for that one is you're not going to be able to grow a forest if you just throw some seeds on the street in front of you. It really needs to be in an environment that supports it and uh, takes it in. And a lot of the probiotics in the doses and how they're formulated they don't really stick. They can do something help be essentially a little bit helpful while they're passing through. But I don't think there's very much data to show that they stick and actually change the microbiome over the long term.
0: I love a good lawn analogy for microbiota. It's all about getting that soil prep and not trying to throw things on concrete. Okay, so we're pretty interested. I'm looking forward to when your N of one study comes out as well. What year was that Skyler?
1: It was a couple of years ago. I have the data. Uh, haven't gotten it Published, but I could share that with you at some point. It's yeah. really interesting to walk through. Yeah. I, I at least think it's interesting.
0: Okay. I think it's going to be interesting too. <laughs> I would like to walk through it. All right. But let's move on to. So we got this microbiome obsession, and then we're going to throw in a little business here because also another thing I like about you is I'm all about like, oh, it's all about who you know. And I can hear it in multiple places that you say, you're like, oh, well, this guy who owns Twitter, he had obvious ventures. And so you ended up, I don't know if you just knew. This is a networking thing. So you're basically working for this venture capital company. You The two years off, you finish your MBA, right? And then you go back to California, where it's easy to get lots of diverse plants, because you know, that's the answer to life. And so you're working for this place. And you get a pitch from a company using some interesting therapies we're about to talk about. So I'd like to hear about how you just got into this company, because I think that's a fun, that can be a fun piece. It's like the person who's behind it is often like a good part of the story.
1: Yep. So I really went to obvious essentially saying based off of the science that's coming out of it I think it's truly going to change the way we understand human health and I really think it's the missing link between eastern and western medicine and why there's differences there in certain ways and that it's like a new organ that's as important as your liver or your gallbladder that we're just discovering and i thought that it was just really going to change the way we understand human health. And there's so much innovation happening there. I wanted to really focus on kind of spend full time really looking at what was happening in the space, looking at the opportunities from an investor's perspective. What was too early within the microbiome space? What was too late? Where were the real investment opportunities? And I joined them to look at exactly that.
0: Mm, I think that's a great point. What was too early? and What was too late? Because probiotics, we've been around for a while. And it used to be, you know, let's have the maximum dose possible. And the most diversity is possible. And if you stay abreast of microbiome research, that's pretty 20 year old recommendations, at least 15-year-old recommendations at this point. For I can say that with confidence, that those are 15-year-old recommendations already. And it takes us about 15 years for our mm-hmm. most recent research to hit the ground, unless you listen to this podcast and you heard it in advance. Haha, that's a good joke from me. Um, so we're into GladSkin. I want to talk about skin science. GladSkin really helps with inflammatory skin conditions. That can be several things. I want to talk about its utility outside of eczema, but we're going to start with eczema because really, I think you're marketed toward that. And I think what we really want to talk about about is skin science so okay eczema is a big deal it affects giant percentage of the population 10 to 20 percent of kids is what i think one to three percent of adults correct me if you see it differently
1: Yep, it's big yep.
0: we know it's pretty closely associated with imbalance of staphylococcus aureus. so this overgrowth of bad bacteria on the skin for some reason even though we accept that across the board Is that very well conveyed? Do people always understand that that's what's going on? I don't think so. So we can talk about that a little bit. And I think also coming into this space, you picked a company to work with that had some challenges set out for it because unfortunately, the nature of the beast is that we want skin stuff to be simple because it's just on your skin, right? It's just topical. So we just want something to be easy and it's not always easy, inconveniently. So there's this whole skin microbiota. So I'm gonna let you take away what you want to say about skin microbiome health, mm-hmm. and want to get into the science of phages here.
1: Absolutely. So I'll start when I was at Obvious Ventures, I really saw overall probiotics were a concept that the masses understood that, you know, you can have good bacteria in your system that can keep you healthy. The idea of good bacteria, I think is well understood. But that concept. On the skin is not really well known out there in the public and more and more people every day are learning that your skin also has a microbiome and it also needs to be kept in balance in order for it to be healthy. And just like your gut needs a healthy balance of bacteria to be healthy, your skin needs a healthy balance of bacteria to be healthy. And this is a relatively new concept in science, in dermatology that people we're really finding correlations between the types of bacteria that live on your skin and the health of your skin. Over since the beginning of time, you know since early on, we've marketing and consumer brand companies have taught us we need to clean and disinfect our skin every single day to keep it healthy. And that's something we've all grown up with. That we need a certain type of soap to keep our body clean, a different one to keep our face clean. It needs to be antibacterial to make sure you're killing all the bacteria. And what we're learning based off of this new kind of genomic sequencing technologies that make it really cheap to look at your skin microbiome is that that's not the case. And that all of that cleansing, all that over stripping may actually be causing more harm than good. And that nature all along may have had this right. And big companies make profits by selling us more products to use. And we're learning it may be causing more problems than helping.
0: I agree. So let's talk about probiotics are well understood. We talked about that. Yeah. We talked about your yeah. your experiment showed that, eh, yep, not really showing a big difference. We know that the topical, we know that the microbiome is inside our body and outside of our body. It weighs, I don't remember how much it weighs. It's like a big, it's like its own thing.
1: It's an organ. You're more bacteria than you are human. There's more bacterial cells on your body than there are human cells.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And we're just discovering what it really does for us and the impact it has.
0: All right. Let's hit this microbiota technology okay. first, and then we'll come back around to how it works on skin. Okay. So... If you're paying attention to microbiome research, phages are like the next thing. And this is kind of hard. So let me say it like this. I used to tell people GladSkin, for example, was a probiotic cream. That's not exactly correct at all. So let's talk about phages, what they are, why they're the new thing in microbiota research, where we're at with them, etc.
1: So phages or phages are essentially like Probiotic virus. So just like there can be good and bad bacteria, there can be good and bad viruses. As we're learning with COVID, there can be viruses that cause serious problems, but there's also different types of viruses that can actually be helpful for you. And they are actually part of the microbiome and can help keep certain types of bacteria in check and in balance. So phages and bacteria and humans all co together over time. And if all of them are in harmony, in all are in balance, all will be healthy. And so GladSkin is not really a phage technology. GladSkin actually uses what's called endolysin technology. We're the only company in the world that uses endolysin technology. It's truly a breakthrough in a completely new way to think about and treat skin health. And endolysin's are essentially proteins that are naturally occurring, and we have them all over our body all of the time, and they actually work to selectively target specific types of bacteria. We've done a number of studies that have shown that it can be very specific to a specific species of bacteria, as well as the data we have does not show that it is likely to induce resistance, like what happens when you use antibiotics.
0: I want to make sure I understand. I want to make this simple, right? So we know probiotics are good bacteria that's inherently what they are. We know that we have overgrowth of bad bacteria. We know that phages or phages are beneficial viruses that disrupt bacterial metabolism. And I want to just pull a little research and I want to then make the association with endolysin here. And there's all kinds of research out there. And this one study is calling it, we're really entering this pre-antibiotic era. So I think what they're saying is we are dealing with antibiotic resistance we cannot keep doing this. We have issues. We have stuff that's kind of like created its own resistance to being killed. So, for example, let's say we've got this staph aureus, and there's a lot we could talk about with like skin stuff and staph aureus. But let's say if you've gone been on antibiotics or lotus, or let me do acne because a lot of people will be on lotus antibiotics for very bad acne, and so we're then creating kind of an antibiotic resistance environment where your body's just like well, I'm just gonna live with this, you know, it like keeps the numbers a little bit low, but just gonna live with it. So again, I'm just kind of like trying to bring the importance of this to the surface. We can't keep doing that. It <laughs> doesn't work. We're having resistance and so we can't get rid of things we really need to kill right so we see these chronic c diff infections we can't kill with antibiotics all kinds of things h pylori is becoming this way all these mm-hmm. nasty organisms so we need some different tools to work on bacteria and so we may have always had these things so this is the phages are going to disrupt this bacterial metabolism so it's going to be kind of an antibacterial in this unique way that's not just a killer i guess that's how i'm viewing it and then endolysin am i understanding that it is um not like, whereas a phage is a virus that disrupts bacterial metabolism, is it correct to say that it's a protein that's targeting bacteria? Yeah. So it's like acting no, endo- like a phage?
1: So phages or phages naturally secrete what is called endolysins.
0: Okay, thanks. So
1: phages go into the cell, they release endolysins. Endo means from within. And that is actually, the endolysin is actually what cuts the cell wall of the bacteria and essentially destroys it. It's so, the
0: enzyme in the process. Exactly. Okay. So enzymes are what make the whole magic happen in the world, right? Enzymes are like every step you take. That would be like my analogy. It's like every step you take is an enzyme. <laughs> you know, you cannot yeah. create a function. So and a license. So somehow in this biotech company, they like took that enzymatic process, extracted it and said, Hey, what if we do this, so we can break down this bacteria. So we're not using a probiotic to try to counter bad bacteria with good bacteria, we're using something that's going to help be the catalyst or the step to break down the bad bacteria to allow good bacteria to become balanced, essentially.
1: Absolutely. I think for the many skincare companies, out there that market themselves as having probiotic technology or having microbiome technology. A lot of it is either adding bacteria that might be good for your gut, but aren't necessarily naturally part of the skin microbiome Mm -hmm. or using extracts or enzymes or they call postbiotics Mm -hmm. from, from bacteria. So not the live bacteria, but the enzymes that those bacteria produce to help your skin and endolysins help improve that balance. But What endolysins do is directly help remove a very targeted way what's actually causing the problem. And there's no other technology on or brand or company in the market using that direct technology to directly remove and rebalance what's actually causing the problem.
0: Basic question. So if we're looking at an enzyme breaking down bacteria, there's good and bad bacteria. How do we target the overgrowth of the staph aureus versus the good bacteria?
1: Yep. So the endolysins themselves, they have a specific structure and there are different types of endolysins out there. The type of endolysin that is used in GladSkin, it's almost like a puzzle piece. So Staph aureus has a specific, think about it like a jigsaw puzzle shape. If you have an endolysin that is the matching piece to that jigsaw puzzle, it will attach to the Staph aureus and cause it where if it's a different bacteria that has a different puzzle piece, it's not going to allow the end license to connect to attach to it and do what it needs to do.
0: Got it. Okay. And so, as you can imagine, marketing for this is a real thrill. <laughs> We- How do we hardest? Something people understand. Like I said, this is a challenge because we want something yeah. to be easy. We want it to be topical. We understand probiotics. We're not a probiotic. We're better than a probiotic kind of. I will say, though, there are types of probiotics that can have some phage-like activity, right? So spore-based mm-hmm. probiotics like Bacillus subtilis. But that's kind of like the initial piece and you're taking out a- the step, the process, the actual piece that attaches so it's a unique aspect of it so you add this endolysin therapy and what do you add it to so it works well with skin
1: yep so in our kind of hero eczema product we mix our endolysin with the most basic fragrance free preservative free moisturizer possible for people with eczema less is truly more and really the cream serves two primary purposes one is a delivery mechanism for the endolysin, to get the endolysin onto the skin. And at the same time, it's in a moisturizer, which really helps protect and repair the skin barrier and keep the skin moisturized. So most OTC eczema products are just essentially a fragrance-free moisturizer. And many of them have preservatives in them, which can be a whole nother tangent, but preservatives are essentially antibiotics that keep bacteria from getting into the product. They don't keep the product fresh or keep the active ingredient fresh. That's really what they are. So our philosophy, it's critical to have preservative free products to really respect the skin microbiome balance because you could be undoing all of the good that you're doing if you're using products with preservatives in them, which the vast majority of skincare products are.
0: Right. Sure. Makes sense. Uh, I think that's a great mention. And so I'm going to reiterate it that preservatives are there for antimicrobial purposes already innately in the product because we don't want crap growing in the product. So in the case of an imbalanced skin microbiota and almost we could make a very far reaching statement that if we're not using good topical products, we could accidentally, if the environment and the situation and everything is just right, we could create adult onset or even childhood onset eczema by disrupting the skin microbiota first. Yeah, it's possible right now,
1: right now in COVID with everybody washing their hands using hand sanitizer all the time, people's hands are really, really hurting. And sanitizer is broad spectrum antibiotic Mm -hmm. that kills everything on your skin. And that's what causes the dryness. It's because those bacteria that provide that natural moisturization in your skin are all being killed, and they can't do what they're supposed to do. And so Using products that are broad spectrum antibacterial on your problem may sometimes help in the short term, but I personally don't believe that's really going to be a key to long term skin health.
0: Yeah, I'm in this area, so I understand how horrible this is. And I will tell you, the worst kind of eczema someone could have or that they feel like they could have is hand eczema. And it is literally at an all-time high. I think every dermatologist would say that because of the amount of hand sanitizer we're using. So if possible, I'm always trying to have people reel back from using that when we're working on hand eczema because it's pretty hard to, you know, it's hard to heal a broken ankle when you don't take the steps before that to heal it, right? So, yeah. Okay, that makes more sense. I know you had a note about eczema and winter skin. So that makes more sense. Because I often think about winter skin as like dryness, etc. And so let's talk about eczema being this dry winter skin, and how that Relates to endolysis because when I think about dry winter skin, I think about the humidity. I mean, I have a whole short podcast about this. I think about humidity out of the air, dry winter wind blowing and creating issues. We don't have any moisture in the air. So we have general dryness. Then we're drying things out further, but you have a little bit of a different angle here where you're saying, you know, one, we talked about antimicrobials or alcohol sanitizers, but talk to me about endolysis role in dry winter skin.
1: Really endolysis role. Whether it's winter or summer, functionally, it's the same. The product's not changing, and it's really ensuring that skin microbiome stays balanced. I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent here, but if you go see a dermatologist and you have eczema, even though the science is indisputable that specific types of bacteria, namely staph, aureus, is highly correlated with eczema, And there's actually more recent studies showing that it's actually the smoking gun where the toxins from the staph aureus are actually triggering the allergic response in eczema and a direct cause of flare-up. So we've moved beyond correlation in our understanding, closer nearly to causation. And that being said, most dermatologists don't treat the staph problem on the skin because they are trained to only use antibiotics in a full-blown infection that shows clinical symptoms of a full infection. And the fundamental shift here is that you can have low levels of staph on your skin. It's really a continuum where you can have low levels of staph on your skin that is not a quote-unquote staph infection, but it can be causing redness and itch and irritation. And our belief is that that's entirely untreated because the dermatologists want to save antibiotics for those very serious conditions because of that antibiotic resistance Mm -hmm. topic we discussed Mm -hmm. before and probably rightfully so because there's never been a way, and these are chronic conditions, so the treatments need to be suitable for long-term use. And prior to GladSkin, there's never really a product that could address the imbalance directly directly and that is safe to use over the long term. So it's really a completely new approach, a new way to think about the problem. And whether it happens in the summer or the winter, it's really about the microbiome imbalance. And different conditions and factors can cause it to happen. But what's important is bringing it back to balance.
0: Yeah, I think the continuum is a good place for these last couple of questions. Because I think we have to understand where we fall on the ladder. I'm going to use a ladder as our continuum, because if we're kind of like, oh, in low levels, where maybe we're not really flared, or we just have this little bit of something, it's going to be a little bit easier to correct than if it's pretty symptomatic. And as things get more and more severe, it can be a little bit more difficult to bring you back down to that first rung of the ladder or that homeostasis, right? If you're already progressed, Along that or along that continuum a bit. So, how have you seen Gladskin work in severe eczema or a full blown staph infection? Because antibiotics have their purpose here, or low dose antibiotics have their purpose sometimes here, right? And this will definitely in a full blown staph infection. We can talk about eczema from the inside versus outside too. But when you have a full blown staph infection, I don't care what you're doing, it's going to be pretty hard to correct because it's really gnarly. <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. oozing redness, hot, inflamed. It's very bad. So, I mean, I don't know how long Gladskin has been on the market. It's actually fairly fresh, like a couple of years-ish, right, Skyler?
1: Yeah, it's brand new in the US. So we've only been in the market in the US for a year. So we're really, really just getting started here.
0: Cool. So I definitely don't feel behind on the curve anymore. Because I was like, yeah, I feel like I've only known about it for so long. And then I was calling it a bacteria cream. And that's not a probiotic cream. That's not really fair. So what have you seen with severe eczema? I mean, would you just say, yeah, sometimes you need something stronger, or it takes a little bit more time to step down from really where something is extreme. I know that everyone defines that term severe very subjectively. (laughs) So (laughs) that's a challenge. I mean, what have been some of the success stories or how long does it seem like it takes glad skin to start to make this shift? Because we're so used to steroids, which are instantly turning off a light switch, but are not a long-term solution to eczema. We are not supposed to be on these long-term. We have not good side effects related to steroids. There are some things you probably don't want to Google about this. Maybe you should Google them, but we don't want to be on these long-term. So anyway, my point is how long does it seem like it takes to kind of reel this back?
1: Yes. And so I wish there was a very easy answer for it, but I can summarize overall because eczema in itself, we know is extremely complex and it's multifactorial and it can be caused and triggered from a lot of different reasons. There can be a genetic component to it. It's really complex. That being said, what we find, what we're so excited about at Gladskin is the reviews that are coming in every day and there is in a certain group of people what we've seen is gladskin works really well in about 80% of people with eczema which is essentially in line with the number of people with eczema that have staff overgrowth as a problem so those two numbers line up really well and we find that about in 80% of the people who it works for the benefit people notice results within the first few days which is truly remarkable for a product that is safe enough to use on young children every single day and safe enough to put on your eyelids and safe enough you know there's really no toxicity that comes with it so the general trade-off that most people feel with eczema is that safety versus efficacy do i want something that's really safe or do i want something that's really strong and you have to decide between the two and this new approach really Removes that trade off off of the table with to go back to your question related specifically to people with very severe eczema. The more severe, the more complex the situation is. And it's likely there are other things going on in addition to the staff problem in severe cases. And so in some cases, Godskin won't be the end all be all solution for some of the very severe cases, but sometimes people do see really dramatic effects even with very severe eczema. And if you go to our website and read our reviews, you can hear these really special, authentic stories of three paragraphs of people's decade-long journey of trying 20 different treatments or products and none of them working, and then stumbling upon GladSkin and it working in a couple of days. I get the goosebumps every time I read them because they're so authentic and they're so real. But it's not the perfect magic bullet. For every single person, but it's all about trying it and knowing that it's safe, that it's not going to cause problems, and seeing if it's the right solution for you.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really fair statement, long statement there, because sometimes things get really severe. And the longer you've had it, the more severe it is, the more layers it seems to have. Okay, so Gladskin is new to the US this year. <laughs> It's got the future of microbiome research at its core. If only it was prescription, but you've got a partnership with L'Oreal. So you're kind of going big, you know, go big, go home, right? Skylar, what's going on with that? And where can people find you guys online?
1: Yes. So Mike Rios is the biotech company that developed the patented ingredient in Gladskin. And we announced about three months ago that we've partnered with L'Oreal for them to incorporate endolysin technology into their products. So our mission and goal at GladSkin and and Mike the biotech company that developed, is really what we call to Hamapasap, which is to help as many as possible, (laughs) as soon as possible. It's quite a mouthful, but that's truly what drives us. Every day we read every review and every kind of strategic business decision we make is about how do we help more people with this technology and partnering with the largest cosmetic company in the world is our way of making sure this product makes its way around the world and can help as many people as we can along the way while we do that.
0: Cool. All right. If people want to know more about GladSkin, they should go to...
1: Yes. If people want to learn more about GladSkin, it's www.gladskin.com. And I highly encourage people to read those reviews that I mentioned before. They're really different and special and and you can really see the impact and improvement in the quality of people's lives who have tried it. So, yeah, thank you.
0: Yeah, thanks for coming on today and for sharing about endolysin therapy and how it's super unique to Glad Skin and this product and also talking about the skin microbiome because it is a message that affects everyone beyond eczema, beyond acne, beyond everything because we all have skin. <laughs> and right now, our hands are looking for a break from antimicrobials. So <laughs> so thanks so much for coming on and talking to us about this today, together.
1: Yeah, thank you so, so much, Krista. It's been great.